Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. Today is a very special show for me personally. My friend, Mike Carroll, someone who I grew up with, grew up playing basketball against and with, is on the show today. Mike's journey to a BQ, a Boston qualifying time, is absolutely fantastic. He's a Masters runner, just like me, just a couple years older than I am. And I couldn't wait to talk to Mike because I've known him for a very long time. I've been following his running for the past five years, and it's just been an incredible journey. I couldn't wait to get into it. And not only that, but I also want to make sure that that I correct this. I think in the episode, he says that he helped raise money for the Jimmy Fund. It was actually the V Foundation, but just an awesome guy with a great family. And we talked all about running and family in this episode. Before we get into it, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor today, Ola Dance. Have you checked out these headphones yet? They are absolutely amazing. The open ear design, it's so much better than the bone conduction designs that you see out there. You can still hear everything around you, but you get crystal clear audio, high quality audio, which is the difference here. I love these things. 19 hours of battery life in the OWS2 headphones. They are actually, they're not connected in the back either. They're just, they just sit on each ear independently. They're absolutely fantastic. So lightweight too. That's the other thing with these. Sometimes when you get these headphones that kind of sit above your ear, your ears can kind of get fatigued with them. They, you know, they don't feel great after an hour or two. These have felt great the whole time. I'll wear them the whole day as, you know, for all my, my business calls and things like that. No problem at all. Go to oladance.com forward slash rambling to go to the website and then use code rambling to save 20% on your order today. Now, let's get into my conversation with Mike Carroll. All right. I never thought I was going to be saying this on the Rambling Runner podcast, but Mike Carroll, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Matt. Appreciate it. Good to be here. This is so exciting for me. Mike Carroll is a man that I have known before we were men, right? we, were, we were kids. <laughs> like, yeah, I think, you know, I think I first heard your name or saw you when I was in fifth grade, the first time I'd played CYO basketball. It was like the first year we had a team. Remember you? You were in seventh grade at the time, going to the Our Lady of Mount Carmel gym, which was so small that, for all intents and purposes, the three point lines intersected like the Olympic rings. And <laughs> since then, I've known you for a long time. We played yep. so much basketball together, and now we're both into running. But I feel like, I mean, shoot, it's, it's wild to say, but I've known you for thirty years at this point, and it's just a pleasure to have you on the show. It's crazy, um, and I'm glad we got to reconnect after you know a while. Uh, but running brought us together, so that's really cool. For sure, and I, I do have to give a shout out to my friend and your cousin, yeah. who I didn't even know was your cousin, Ted Jordan. <laughs> Ted's been on the show. Ted's a, a running buddy of mine, and I'm laughing because we were, we were on a run one time, and he's like, so how do you know Mike Carroll? And we're looking at being like, all right, <laughs> put you know, uh, earmuffs, kids. I looked at him and said, how the fuck do you know Mike Carroll? Like, how, what do you mean? I've known Mike Carroll since I was 11 years old. How do you even know Mike Carroll? He's like, that's my cousin. So yeah. anyway, shout out to Ted Jordan. I know he's listening to this. Um, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, Mike, this has been so much fun. So you and I go way back. We played thousands of basketball games together. We live in neighboring towns. Our high schools were bitter rivals in all sports, including basketball. You and I played basketball. Yeah every Sunday night at the YMCA from like ages like 
12 Absolutely. to 18, basically, and, and outdoor courts and all that. This is not a basketball podcast. We're not <laughs> going to masquerade as a basketball podcast, even though this conversation, we certainly could. With that <laughs> said, I'm so excited for you. You just got a Boston qualifying marathon time at the Steamtown Marathon. Yep. Mike. This is this is enormous news. So tell us what the time was and just your general takeaways from the weekend. We're going to do a little chronological little chronological tour of your running career, but just just give me a lowdown for for what happened a couple weeks ago. Sure, yeah. Um well, first of all, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Uh Steamtown is in Scranton, PA, and I did um 31820, um which was a 25 second PR and Thankfully, also, um, I got that kind of that unicorn. I got the Boston qualifier, which I've been trying for for years. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was a perfect kind of weather day for the most part. Maybe tiny little wind, but the um, but the weather was really solid temperature wise. And um, I was able to string along a, a pretty good day and, and achieve a goal that I've been trying for for a really long time. Now, you mentioned 25-second PR, but mm-hmm. this was your first Boston Marathon qualifying time, right? Yeah, I kind of played that age game there. <laughs> so this qualifying time was for 2025, and I purposely waited um, for my age up. So, um, you know, it's that quote-unquote Boston math that you can do sometimes. So um, last year, I set the PR in September um, at a local marathon of 318.45, but that was eight minutes and 45 seconds away. And you look at the number and I knew I was aging up for um, the 2025 race because it's how old you are on race day and I will be 45 on race day. And so I knew if I could just run that or better, I would get the BQ time. Obviously, um, I was hoping to run a little bit faster to give myself a little bit more of a buffer given what happened with the standards this year. But um just to be able to say that I'm a Boston qualifier is like mind blowing. And at some point, I, I mean, I'm still hopeful. I have no idea what's going to happen with the standards in September, but um, I'm still hopeful I'll get to get on that starting line someday. And that's the next step in my journey. Right. And at what point did you differentiate between Boston, getting the Boston Marathon qualifying standard and potentially running, running the race? Was there like, is there a separation in your mind or is it more like, Hey, this was about like, can I get this time and kind of like whatever happens, happens kind of vibe. Or was it more like, Hey, I want to be in Boston mm-hmm. running down that street. And that's the goal. Um, the goal is definitely to run it and finish it at some point in my life. Um, and personally, um, I'm going to qualify this. If you run, you're a runner. If you run Boston for a charity, you are, you have my utmost respect. If you would have, for me personally, um, it's about qualifying and earning my way in. So that's just a personal thing for me. But I do at the same time, when I officially am getting in there, I guess we can get in this a little bit, but I do want to do like some sort of cancer raising fund for um, the memory of my father. But um for me personally, it's about qualifying and actually running it that way. So hopefully at some point I'll be able to fully achieve that goal. Maybe that's in 2025 or maybe it's later, but that's, that's the, that's the end game. Right. And I guess hey, you knocked down the first step in it, right? Like mm-hmm. it was, you, you went down there, you <laughs> right. got it. When is your birthday? Like you mentioned, like you're going to be 45 <laughs> on the day of the race. So like you talked about the Boston marathon math, like how do yeah, you, how, it, where does your birthday fall in that uh, calendar? It, 
it's September 20th, like right in the window. So um, I'll be, it, it, it's awkward. <laughs> the whole thing is awkward. So like I had to, I had to wait just a little bit. And then obviously you can't submit um, at that point either if you run a race right, right before. So um, I had to wait till after the window was closed and then 2025 opened up for me to be able to, uh, to do that. Cause I didn't think I could run a 310 <laughs> or less. So um, right. I was hoping for 315 to be honest, um, but wasn't able to execute that. But I, right. So I you're talking about the two 2025 Boston marathon. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, so you, got was, some, you got some waiting to do here. What are you going to do with um, your time? Well, I can run <laughs> one or two more between now and September to try and lower it. So that might be uh, part of the game. I'll probably end up running one um, at the very least to try and lower it. But, you know, I just got to keep on grinding. I'm not going to lie to you right now. I'm kind of going through that kind of post-marathon blues period that people go through when you've hit a goal that you've been like really, really focused on for a while. So, but, um, you know, I'm, let's talk about I'm, that for I'll a second. Get it together. I, I, yeah, because I know, cause I've been following you closely for a long time. We mm-hmm. message back and forth and I always try to keep track of what's going on with you. Sure. You know, one of my best friends is someone that you've known for a long time. So we're always checking like, how'd Mike do? And so like, I know that there have been races where you felt like you were on the cusp of doing something awesome. And maybe you didn't quite hit that goal. And we've all been there, right? We all think sure. that we're, you know, we do the marathon calculators. We're like, all right, can I get there? Can I not? And you get your coach yep. involved and all of that. So how how would you describe how you're feeling post Steamtown, post reaching this big time goal that you've had? And how is that compared after other races, maybe races that didn't go quite as well, where mm-hmm. the post marathon blues maybe would be even more expected, right? Because you're like, okay, wow, like the the letdown of the race day and race day maybe didn't go that great. So like the combination mm-hmm. of the two you would think might create that marathon blues type scenario. So here's something I guess a little bit weird. I don't know if it's factoring in or not. There's a few combinations here. I was tracking what they were going to do with Boston with the standards like crazy because right before this race, which was like October 8th, um, they had done what they were doing with Boston this year, which was um, the 529 cutoff. And so I was personally having my own personal freak out that they were going to drop the standards and that 315 would have been the new number. And I didn't know how much below my PR I was going to be with. I felt confident that I could get the BQ, but then the question was if it's 315 in a PR, but I don't BQ, would have I had felt a, like the whole day would have been different. I would have been like, yeah, I PR'd and I missed it again. But the fact that they didn't drop the standards at least allowed me to say the words Boston qualifier, even if I don't get the bit. That also allowed me to accomplish this massive goal, which for me personally has been 11 years in the making. Um, that's the one thing. The other thing, I've had a little bit of like a knee tendonitis type thing that's popped up. So I've been kind of dealing with that since and just kind of the letdown, like the eating, the drinking um, that I don't do normally at all. I, I've participated in, and then you got to snap yourself back out of it. Plus with a little bit of the knee thing. So it's just been a combination of stuff right now. I'm, I'm sure I'll snap out of it as I get more healthy and, and then get back into it. And then I just got to put a race down in the spring probably. And, and we'll get going from there and try to um, try to work towards, you know, 
lowering the number to try and work towards that bib because I don't think it's going to be lasting at 320 for my numbers for very long if things continue the way they're trending. Yeah, and we'll see what happens, right? Because like even two years ago, there was no buffer, so like it's right. it's, it's hard to it's hard to, to read mm-hmm. into what what's going to happen in the future and, and go from there. With that said, mm-hmm. I love this kind of combination of goals here because you've been getting faster as you've been getting older, mm-hmm. and it's not like you spent the majority of your life as someone who never competed in athletics mm-hmm. and then coming to it later in life. You're like, oh wow, like hidden potential. This is amazing. Again you've been on this journey. It's not like you started like at 18 years old, but at the same time you were a very active person. So sure. at this, so the fact that you're keep getting faster as you progress through into your mid forties is an awesome thing. How do you reconcile the chase for PR and continuing mm-hmm. to get better, even at an age where it's harder to PR and having this ex- external goal of Boston qualifying and the jockeying of the two, and especially as a parent of some very active youth athletes, who I'm <laughs> sure you talk to them all the time about intrinsic versus extrinsic goals sure. and figuring out like how to measure themselves and things like that. Sure. Um, I think I have like kind of like an on off switch. Either I'm like completely in or I'm, or I'm kind of off right now. It's like an off period after the marathon, but when I'm kind of in, I'm, I'm, I'm in almost, I don't want to say obsessed, but short of that. I know there's stuff you can do more at all times, but you also have to be like obsessed with your kids and your family and everything else too. So there's a combination. I do want to present to them and my wife does as well, um, a way to set goals, go after them. They don't have to do it in the same way, but just know and acknowledge how hard in my case, I work for something. Um, and I, and I hope they, and I think they do recognize that both of them play, um, field hockey. Um, they're both young, pretty much at a, at a young age, but they're, they're very talented. Um, um, and I think they, they have a really good shot to, to go pretty far with the sport. And that sport is honestly my wife's family side. So they're actually passing, like carrying on in a lineage there. My mother-in-law played on the U S national team and she's coached in college and, high school my sister-in-law played in college and so like they're like kind of the next step of this group it almost seems like sometimes they feel some pressure from that but i also want to show them that there are ways that you can you know just grind and work hard and and move forward with that as well so for me um that personal goal has been there for a while um it was just a goal for a little bit just like anything else um until my dad who was also a runner, um, got sick with cancer and passed away pretty quick. And I made a promise to him that I would fulfill it on his behalf. And then, you know, I would like to raise um, some money for, for cancer research once I've been accepted into the race. So, um, his, he had, he had red hair. And so I always think in my head as like a mantra running for red. And so I do that a lot. It's funny when I think of your dad and I, again, I I know him through mm-hmm. through youth basketball as someone yep. who was at OLMC seemingly every minute of the day. Every time I yeah. was at Our Lady of Mount Carmel, Ambrose Carroll was at was at Our Lady of Mount Carmel <laughs> seemingly every time I was there. And um, it's funny I can envision him now. And actually, I had a really good conversation with my, with my best friend Jeff, who I mentioned earlier in this podcast. You know, our our memories of your dad and just being this like 
this great example of this guy who like he didn't take shit from anybody. It was obvious. Like he <laughs> was a hard nosed guy, but he also cared very much about the yep. people in his community and all of that. Like he spent all this time helping youth basketball. Like he didn't have to do that. He could have just coached you and gone home. Yep. Right. And then like, we that's... were talking before the podcast, a little reminiscing about some of our high school basketball memories. And after I left, he was a volunteer assistant for the local high school. We were probably on the bench for against you in some of those games after I graduated, just doing stats for the program and stuff. So he really enjoyed being a part of the community and those type of things. So, so yeah, absolutely. Um, those, those memories are there and, and he loved running. And so like, I think that's some of which are where, where I got it. He loved that I ran marathons um, and was, was definitely really proud, but he was still running all the way up to like right before, you know, he got really sick and um, you know, in his sixties, he was still running like sub 30 minute five Ks and, and doing well, really yeah that's why it really, See, I, was really cool <laughs> I, i'm trying to like recall like my like local east bay rhode island 5k scene and like he I, loved I don't the hangover recall... classic like, yes yeah, so it's funny because like, yeah. i'm sure that we were at the same races but yep. like i don't remember him <laughs> i had no idea that he was a runner so did, did you go to a lot of the, the races with him growing up or what was your introduction into running none of it he just used to be one of those guys who would just go um he picked, he picked up the hobby and he never really did more than six miles, but he would do between three and six almost daily. And then with some of the races, he would just hop in or do it. He loved the Hangover Classic in Bristol, Rhode Island, which has kind of become, I guess, like a little bit of a big deal up there now on New Year's Day and, and a few other ones. But And he would join the, um, there's like a run club down at um, Colt State Park in Bristol as well. He would run there with with some guys um occasionally and but yeah he just really he loved it he followed it you you know he'd follow the boston marathon which is where i kind of got maybe a little bit of love but also like just growing up in that area watching it on tv and the lore of it so um so yeah uh my dad was definitely somewhere in here with the, with the running so what prompted you as ambrose you know got cancer and things developed rapidly. Um, mm -hmm. What prompted you and him to have the conversations about you wanting sure. to qualify for the Boston Marathon in, res sure. in out of respect for him and, and everything he had done? Um, so I had been running a lot, obviously, um, before that. And then he got sick and things kind of deteriorated for me because he was in Rhode Island. I live outside of Philly. Um, I had two little kids at the time. My wife was beyond supportive. I luckily had just changed jobs um, th that allows me to work remote. So I was able to work a lot remote from Rhode Island. So I was there a lot. So I was there for pretty much all of it. And, um, and it was just one of those things where I just felt the desire to want to do one more, one last thing for him, but also, you know, kind of raise some, raise, do something good in his honor. And so this is creepy, um, but you'll enjoy this because it's basketball related too. Um, in one of our last, literally our last lucid conversation, like um, it was kind of those things where you're like in and out of consciousness and he comes awake and the family's there and we're having that chat. And, and I told him, I was like, listen, I'm going to do this for you. Like, I just want to let you know in advance, like, um, you know, this goal, but now the goal has a second part. Like I'm going to qualify and then I'm going to, to try and, and do something good in your honor. Literally, we had set up a fund that week for like people like because we, we knew he was about to 
to go. And um, you're familiar with the Jimmy Fund, I'm sure, for yeah. um, Jim Valvano and 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 whatnot for cancer research. And it's uh, we're at um, the nursing home where, and it's probably the last day, and it ended up just after midnight where he passed. But uh, I kid you not, that night the 30 for 30 documentary came on at like eight o'clock and I'm just like, whoa, like we just happened. We were watching like an MLS game because that's all the sports that we're on. It ends in the next like filler of the time is the Jimmy G Jimmy V 30 for 30. And I was just like, what is happening right now? <laughs> like, right. So like that, yeah, it was just like, so it was basketball. It was running. It was cancer. It was my dad. It was all connected. And then the his famous quote was, "What don't give up, don't ever give up." And so that it's always been in my head. And at that point, so you'd been running marathons at mm-hmm. that point, and you've had this connection with your dad, you know, yeah. through sports for a long time. Like he's always been involved with the, obviously more than just sports, but your dad was int- intimately involved in your athletic journey as, yep. since you were a kid. So yep. here he is, and you're continuing on his legacy in honor of him doing this. Now, as someone who's known you for a long time, was following your journey, it mm-hmm. seemed like there were times where running was getting tough. Like you had yeah. these big goals and like mm-hmm. you had these goals, you had this commitment that you made to your father that sure. were connected to your running. It's one thing to have running goals you're not making. It's a completely mm-hmm. different thing to have running goals you're not making and have this other connection to those mm-hmm. running goals that is a completely different thing. So with all of that being said, sure. what got you through those moments where running wasn't something that either you were taking joy out of or that the goals weren't coming or progress was going slower than you imagined what got you through those moments when you had this promise that had kind of not instigated the process because you'd already run a marathon, but had mm-hmm. kind of instigated it? So I had run, let's see, um, I'd run four before he passed and then he got sick and I was in the process of training for the fifth. My head and heart wasn't really in it. And then that was kind of like the last straw of like, I'm not going to be able to do this. And, but my dad passed away. I'm an only child. Life just kind of fell apart for a while. And there was a lot of other things that went with it. It was um, a lot of like definitely post death, like even like depression. Um, definitely had a lot of weight gain, like stuff what just wasn't happening physically. And it was a while. Um, I had to move my mom because she was in a house like she's my mom's like almost 90 now so and this was like five or this was uh like eight years ago so like she needed you know she, we moved her down to philadelphia or where we live my aunt has high functioning autism who was my dad's sister she was there by herself we moved her down to this area to be able to take care of them so all those things had to be settled and pretty quickly and for, uh, during that time running it just wasn't there but the goal was always in the back of my head. I didn't know what was going to be the trigger to eventually get back to it. And But it was about, I think, 18 months of that, to be honest with you. And I came across, I don't know, I just did something in the basement one day and came across like some sort of like stupid little goal or something on, um, I, I did P90X a lot. And so... 
I started with that and something clicked and it was right around my dad's birthday. Um, and that year, which is October 15th. And I, from that point on, it's, I think the kind of like depressed state kind of flipped itself and I got back a sense of motivation and I just, from there, and I put the effort in and started to sign up for races again. So like it, it was just always there in the back of my head. Like I knew I was going to get back to it. I just didn't know when and what was going to be the spark. And then it was just something, I think it was my dad's birthday that hit the spark and, and, and there I went. <laughs> and what year did he pass? He passed in 2015. Um, okay. In uh, March. Gotcha. So, so around early 2017 is when you kind of started getting back in the mix. I was, um, it was around his birthday. Like, so late 2016. Yeah. 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 And so, or somewhere around there. Yep. <laughs> so, and then I ended up running, um, the first marathon I ran after that was Pittsburgh in 2018. All right, folks, quick break in the podcast to talk about John G. The weather has changed and I am so glad that I have plenty of John G to wear as the temperature cools down. My go-to move right now are the John G two-in-one shorts. So a lot of times when I'm running, it's around, you know, the 39 to 44 degree temp. Sometimes that can be a little hard. The two-in-one shorts have you covered. They have that the, the soft, light lining underneath the short with some really good pocket space and then a short on top of that. It is really so well done. I'm not a big half knit, I'm say half tight kind of person. These two in one shorts really fit the bill and they have so many pockets too, which is a wonderful thing, especially once you get into those long runs. Also, the John G Winter Collection is now available. So many good items that I want to pick up. That is for sure. Go to johng.com. That's J-A-N-J-I.com and use code rambling to save 15% on your order today. Also, five-year run guarantee on all of those purchases. All right, let's talk about your journey from that point forward, okay? okay? Because I'd love to hear about your progression because you're somebody who, like so many people listening to this, who just chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. You kind of intimated earlier mm-hmm. when you're talking about post-Steam Town of like kind of maybe, you know, imbibing in things that you don't normally do, which there's nothing wrong with that. But also... Yeah. The converse means like, hey, you must be pretty dedicated if like that sort of thing isn't normally on your schedule. So I'd love yeah. to, to know, especially early on, I don't know how you want to chunk this. If it's like the no first problem. two years, first 18 months, first year or whatever, you can you can tell me. But talk to me about that first part of this journey post 2016, where you start to get your footing on the mm-hmm. marathon side and what things start, what things start clicking. So what things do you start doing well? that you're like, okay, this is a good thing. I should keep this up. And conversely, sure. what things do you realize, okay, this kind of isn't working and I need to kind of get rid of this either preconceived notion or habit or things like that. So if I could go back one step before that, um, like I ran my first marathon just to run it in like 2010. Um, I did somewhere around like 415. Um, we had my first child. My wife wanted to... Um, kind of get fit, lose some weight. We ended up doing P90X for like a year. Um, and I went on a run one random day and realized, oh, when you're a lot fitter and stuff, like you're a lot faster. And so I ended up signing up for like a Tough Mudder. And then I was like, oh, that's like half of a marathon. So why don't I just sign up for Philly and I'll do that too. And so it was that when I finished the Philly marathon that year, 
I cut like almost 40, 45 minutes from my first marathon. So I went from 4.15 to like 3.33. And when I crossed the finish line there was when I like set the goal to like try to call. I ran two more in the next couple of years and I ended with um, like a, a stress fracture. Took me a little bit of a while. But that was a five-year gap from that stress fracture to running a full marathon in Pittsburgh. And I wanted to run that marathon for joy. I didn't want to do it for anything else. I needed to prove to myself that I could do it. And certainly if I'm going to go for a Boston time, I loved Pittsburgh, but that's a hilly marathon. (laughs) And so my best friend from college and his family and my goddaughter lived there. And so I wanted to go spend time with them and do something like that. And so I signed up for that one just basically to to have a goal, to go see them, to spend time with people I really cared about, and then to prove to myself that I could really do it again. So that was kind of the next step there. Um, but right around the end of that time, like I kind of felt like I was getting into some of the same stuff that I was before, and I was going to run somewhere in the neighborhood at that similar time. And I was like, something needs to change and and that's when i started to kind of um look around for coaching and that's the next stage is where i found my coach um her name's karen walter she's local to here i kind of found her through a gym i was going through at the time and uh we've been together ever since um so we tried um after pittsburgh to go later in the year at philly again and i had a hamstring issue and didn't end up running and so then I signed up for Chicago in 2019 and was going to try for there. And like you said, try to get faster, chunk it, chunk it, chunk it. We tried to cut corners, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, and I, I think that was a mistake somewhat on my part. Um, maybe a little bit on Karen's as being like, kind of like a newer coach too, but we've, we've worked together for years since and both learned a lot and grown together, which has been amazing. And um, I ended up blowing up in Chicago. Um, I remember listening to one of your podcasts, I think like James McCurdy was on, and he, he said something that makes so much sense to me. I was like, there's so much repetitive of Chicago. My quads just blew. Like it's the up and downhill and changing your leg motion is a big deal. And I wasn't ready for it. <laughs> At mile 19, it was just like, like the quads were just gone. And, and I struggled into like a 401. And then, um, and then, yeah, um, so I didn't know where to go from there. So I thought, hey, why don't I go home? Why don't I go to Providence and see if I can go back there and do well? I, I had set my PR there in, um, in 2013 with a, with a 329 flat and then COVID hit. And so that changed everything. And, and it was just going to be like, how are you going to react to this? Are you going to like, go insular or are you going to put more effort in and ended up running your virtual series and, and ran a marathon by myself and PR'd it. So um, from there, it's just kind of been trying to gradually move that number down as I've gotten older. Like we haven't been able to hit big swings, but I've been able to just continue maybe three, four minute chunks where I took that 20, that 2013 um, PR and, and I've got it down about 10 minutes and I still have a goal of breaking an hour from my first marathon. So I'm pretty close to that too. So, um, 
so yeah, that's kind of been the process. Sorry, that was long and rambly, but no, that's great. That's perfect. <laughs> All right, let me, let's dive into the training aspect, especially mm-hmm. like over the last three or four years. What's your, I guess, speaking generally at first, like over the course of a year, and then we can dive into other things, but like in terms of like how many marathons are you doing per year and how are you structuring not only the um, like the marathon cycles, but also the time in between those cycles, sure. right? In terms of like, what does that mean for yearly mileage, either time mm-hmm. off and or ramping back up into sure. a cycle? Because your consistency over this period of time, something at least from afar has been really good. And I'd love to yeah. know Thank you. what that meant in terms of like just day-to-day consistency and then mm-hmm. extrapolating it out. The most marathons I've done in the year is two, and I've done it twice. And um, so the most recent one was in 2021. I ran York Marathon in York, Pennsylvania, um, and that was at BR. Um, I did like 3:23, and then later in the year I did Rehoboth Beach in Delaware, um, and that didn't go well. It was warmer day, and I think my head just wasn't in it um, there. I'm not a high mileage, high volume guy. I honestly wish I was. I'm just not. Um, part of the Chicago buildup was trying to be that guy, and it just didn't work. Out. Um, so from from that standpoint, um, we do a lot of quality, quality work and really hone in on um, you know certain speed stuff and then very just consistent mileage um, to be able to perform as best as I can for my ability on on the day. Um, a lot of that has also been um, my favorite race. I've run it like, I don't know, maybe almost 10 times now is the Broad Street Run. You familiar with this in Philly? Of course. It's a, it's a 10 mile or it's a big one. I love it. Um, you park at like the stadiums um, down in South, South Philly and South Broad Street where the Eagles and the Phillies play. You get on the subway and you take it 10 miles to the start and you literally basically run in a straight line back. And it's just, it's fast and awesome. I also have a great one of my college friends lives out where like the race starts. <laughs> oh, amazing. So yeah. I, I love it on a few levels. I have so much respect for it because I ran, it was like my first real race. So it's the first time I ever ran over eight miles was in that race. Um, so I've run it as like a back of the packer, but I've also run it where I've started literally 10 seconds after the elites. So I kind of know how it feels to go on all ends of that one. And I, I just, it's fat, it's flat, it's fast, it's fun. And I just have a great appreciation for it. So some of the recently it's been like speed faster, run that shorter distance in the spring, let that be a springboard to maybe something better in the fall. Um, I've done some stuff to try to um, get my body in really decent shape. Um, Maybe even some, I work a little bit better with um, lower body weight, so, so get my um, get my body in check with that. And um, the last couple of years, I've really had some success with get, dropping some times um, at the shorter distances, um, PRs in the five k, ten k, and in the marathon. I in the uh, in that ten miler, which I think had a huge effect on my confidence level um, with the full marathon. So. Um, I hope that answers your question. <laughs> yeah. So when you say that you're not a high mileage guy, but yeah. you wish you were, yeah, this is like, this is a great thing because like so many people mm-hmm. can have these sorts of like, 
opinions on what like sure. what other people view as these levels, right? Mm-hmm. And like for each person, these levels may be different. So how, what do you view as like a high mileage guy? And when you say you're not sure. that, how mm-hmm. wh- where does your mileage range go? During like a full cycle, I'm very consistent, probably between 25 and 45. Um, high end 45 towards the end of a, of a site of a marathon cycle. With regard to what I feel the difference is, I've never, I don't even know, I've never even come close to negative splitting a marathon. And I attribute that to not being a high mileage guy. So that's the difference for me. Like, I'm a huge Ali Feller fan, positive splits for positive people. That's me. I love like, that. <laughs> so like, that, that's where that's where we're at with with that. But that's my mindset on on the high mileage thing is I think some of what in some cases lets me down later in races is I, I if it's my bill. Dude, you just ran 318. We can't complain about the, we can't <laughs> complain about the race tactics. You're, you're, uh, you're doing great. All right. So let's, let's dive in. So you, you cap out mid, maybe high forties, right? That's how you cap out. So when you have that kind of mileage week, I'm going to mm-hmm. get really granular here because I know I can hear the podcast listener be like, oh, what does that mean? Right. So I'm trying <laughs> to figure it out. So like say a 45 mile week yes. later on the marathon cycle, mm-hmm. give me what that week looks like in terms of like how many days off, what does the long run look like? Sure. Right. How long, like what does the workout session look sure. like? I, I love to get a little granular here on the specific days of that week. Sure. For this marathon, um, build. I actually did the the gym three days a week, and I ran three days a week. Um, sometimes four, but mostly three. For like a forty-five, that probably included like somewhere around a, a twenty miler, most likely at mostly easy pace. Um, easy pace for me. Um, I know easy is easy, but um, you know, given where my um, marathon time is, somewhere around eight forty-five to nine, which is one thing that my coach has definitely beaten into my head is the easy is easy 80 20 method because I was before getting a coach, I was a disaster. Like everything was way too fast. And I, so, I, like, can, I, I can co sign um, on that. I did, um, I did, notice that. yeah, but I'm yeah, very, so, so right around now, you're, you're, yeah. you're easy pace. You're normally keeping around a minute to a minute and a half slower than your marathon pace. Yep. And so that's there. Um, my coach really likes assigning like a, like a for a, like a workout, um, two to three mile like kind of lead in, and then thirty second on offs um, at like eighty um, percent speed, uh, and then finish that with like another five miles, um, like kind of cool down at easy. Um, so we we do a lot of those. Obviously, some hills. I, I do some track work um, as well. For sure. Did a lot of like um, absolute hundreds and, and different things at times in this cycle. So whatever day that day happens to be during the week, and then obviously um, usually the Tuesday leading in was like kind of like get your legs back, and the Thursday was more of the the intense day, and then Sunday would be the longer day. So if you take like the twenty miles or somewhere in the higher range, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty on the weekend, and then you paired the other two runs to to match the other two that's where it usually was towards the end of the cycles and then the gym was usually the first day was upper body the second day was was a lower body workout and then kind of like a a hybrid on the third day and 
I throw some yoga in too. So do you typically ever run two days in a row? Um, this last build, I didn't that much in previous ones. Yeah, but I think she's been kind of adjusting for the load and the amount of months that I, I've put in. So um, I put in a pretty good shift over the last two years. And then knowing that after running what I did in September last year and knowing that if I could have replicated it 13 months later, there was this also mental aspect that I was knew I was going to have to be on for a long time. And maybe that's some of the reason why the blues are so like up right now. But, um, and I think my coach recognized that as well. So, um, so yeah, uh, because I, I, I could taste it and I knew it was going to be this year. And I think she adjusted accordingly um, because she knows me really well at this point. I love this. And it seems like you guys have a great vibe. She obviously knows what's best for you and you're able to capitalize on that. And the consistency and the continuing to get better is a great illustration of that. Now, mm-hmm. with that being said, I, I do, cause your training program, I think is probably dissimilar from a lot of the, the training programs yeah. that people are listening to. It doesn't mean it's wrong because it's obviously working for you. And I think that people <clears throat> remember this, like there may be best practices, but that doesn't mm-hmm. mean the best practices have to work equally for every person and i think that obviously you guys have found a great cadence for you so i think this is awesome what's your energy level like going into these runs because i have found Mm -hmm. just by example when i'm running in the 50 mile weeks like the low 50s kind of when i've capped out at for like a consistent span sure that i'm tired all the time Mm-hmm. Like I'm never not tired. My work yeah. suffers. Like I feel like I need to take naps. Mm-hmm. Like it's a drain on me. And I'm always like, all right, like, is it just because I'm not used to it or if this like I'm having trouble with it? Anyway, I just want to ask because like sure. you are on a very different kind of plan. So do you feel like you're going into most runs pretty fresh and feeling like, all right, like let's go do this, or do you still feel the cumulative fatigue of marathon training because you are putting in a pretty high amount of like runs miles per run is pretty mm-hmm. high and you still are lifting on top of that. So yes, I feel generally good. Um, and which is, which is amazing to be honest. And I think some of that is attributed to the fact that when I'm, like I said, like when I'm on, I'm on, I'm very dialed into what I eat and food and when I eat and those type of things, which has helped. I used to suffer from migraines like crazy, um, getting fitter, running, eating more properly for running has completely almost taken my chronic migraine pain away. So it's also like a health thing for me when I'm going through this stuff. And it's normally sometimes in the post-marathon things, like I know it's time to flip the switch back into training when I start to get headaches again. Um, the other part is... There was a time when I was running marathon, like the first marathon I ran, like it was basically, and this is going to sound awful, but like in my twenties, like, like I did nothing athletically, to be honest with you. Like it was like high school basketball was over. And then I, I started running for peer pressure to hang out with my brother-in-law, sister-in-law, and my wife, um, because they were going running and I was left. <laughs> so, Hey man, peer pressure, <laughs> peer pressure is a hell of a drug when it comes I, to exercise. Like I, I get it. So, but I liked it and then I and I kept on going and then I was like, I'm just gonna sign up for a marathon and my wife had just gotten pregnant 
with our first daughter. And um, it was just basically like, you're being healthy. You're being healthy for the kid. I ate whatever I wanted, but I was still marathon training, whatever, for that point. But then the shift came that in the connection to like my headaches and other stuff, but I was miserable after runs. Like I was in bed. I was awful because I wasn't doing the proper things that matched the effort I was putting in. So I think that's been very helpful. But also I made a promise to my wife. I think it was after like Chicago because it was really hard on me mentally and with mood and stuff like that, that if I was to continue to do this and to actually attain this goal that I was going to have to make sure to do it all properly so that I didn't have those Sunday long run and I'm decrepit for the rest of the day. I have to be active dad. I have to be all this other stuff. Um, good husband, take care of the stuff at the home. And I, I, I wasn't going to be able to make the commitment without making the commitment to myself. And I promised her that I would promised her I'd be more open with my coach about it. I promised to my kids that like, I don't miss almost anything. And I will get up at four in the morning and get the run, the 20 miles done. And then I'll be at their 7am practice if I need to be. So, um, those things come first and I fit it around it. And so I think the combination of that has allowed me to keep the freshness because, um, I made those promises, but I also made that commitment to my family, my health and myself. So what does that mean from a food and diet perspective? Again, you're not a dietitian, but <laughs> you've made mention of it, <clears throat> excuse me, a couple of times now sure. in terms of making sure that you're doing the right things to set yourself mm -hmm. up for success. So what is that? What does that meant for you from a nutrition perspective? For me, it's just a lot of discipline, portion control, stuff like that. Um, I eat a lot of sweet potatoes during training, for sure. Um, and then at the times of day that I do eat, um, I'm a big fan of Shalane Flanagan's superhero muffins. So on long run days, um, I set an alarm for two hours before I wake up. I, I crush some of those plus some like um, some liquid IV and, and water or something like that for some electrolytes. And then I'll wake up to go do my run. Um, so I, I really try to stay consistent with uh, like the amount of protein, vegetables and everything and the times of day that I eat during the training cycles so that um, my energy level stays pretty consistent for the most part. So not so, a whole lot of late night binges on queso and ice cream. When I'm on, I'm on. Uh, and then the past month I haven't been on. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm pretty good about it. Yeah. Well, it's obviously working, man. Like I shoot, I look at you from afar and I'm like, it's one thing. And now because I have this podcast and this podcast was born out of just following amateur runners, doing amazing things, right? That following amateur <laughs> runners came first, the podcast came second. Sure. So it's been ingrained in all of this, but seeing people like yourself doing this sort of thing, I'm like, it hits differently when it's someone, you know, you. When like, I came like, across I've known you my whole life. So I'm like, <laughs> if Mike Carroll's doing this, like I got to see what he's doing because he's doing something that I'm not doing. When I came across the podcast though, I was like, Oh my God, this is a podcast about me. Like when I first started listening to it and you know, we hadn't talked in a, in a long time and I was just listening and I was, you've mentioned this on some podcasts before you like, some people just started, they found a lesson, an, an, an episode and then they went backwards. And I was like, that was me. Like I listened and then I started going backwards in the episodes and then I reached out to you one day. I was like, 
hey, this is amazing. And, and you're like, where we reconnected or whatever. And I completely get that. And this whole community has been beyond inspiring as well that like you built, I mean, Instagram running community and all that. It's, but it's just so cool that to, to have heard that there are other people similarly out there. I run mostly by myself. So, um, you know, like hearing those stories and stuff is it, you have no idea. Like it, it's beyond worth it to keep you going. Well, I'm so glad that you, that you did listen to the show, but <laughs> I will also say that like, it's not easy. Like it's not keeping that kind of discipline over time, especially if things like you have like that race doesn't go great or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like when you have not on race day, but say it's just like over the course of a training couple of days, or maybe it's a week that's stretched into two weeks where you're just starting to grind. You're like, Oh my God. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not that I don't like running. It's just, I don't want to run today. Yeah. I just don't want to run today. Like how do you deal with those moments or those days? There are times where, you know, is it physically, is there's, is there an injury coming? Assess that first. The second, I just try to remember it's bigger than me and it's for my health. It's for my kids. It's for my dad. Um, it's for a lot of things that are, are bigger than me. And I really think it's important to, to continue with this goal and, you know, to, to continue to be, um, you know, in some ways a role model to how I would love for my kids to attack goals in certain ways. So I, I, I think I really rely on, on that, um, as well. And then sometimes it's just an outlet, man. Like life is complicated. Life is hard. Um, you know, between my, my dad passed last year, um, not last year, you know, eight years ago, like the situations where I talked about with my mom and aunt moving them here. Um, we had some really huge family tragedy, um, last year that we had to really dealt with. Um, uh, and so it's, sometimes it's just an outlet where you, you, you need it mentally. And so, um, yeah, it's, it, it's a combination of all those things, to be honest with you, but sometimes you just don't want to go. Maybe that's not the worst thing in the world either, but for the right. most part, um, I always like to at least throw something on there for my coach to see, cause I don't want to disappoint her either. Now, one thing I want to talk to you about for a long time is just being the dad of an athlete. So your kids are very ingrained in the field hockey community. You mentioned before, they're 11 and 12. Your your, uh, wife's side of the family, as you detailed, like, wow, what a lineage on (laughs) on that side of things. So what's it like for you? Being, you know, being a dad of dedicated athletes, and the reason I wanted to talk to you specifically about this, and I've wanted to have this conversation for a long time, cool. is because I think of your dad as like a great example of this, of someone who like <clears throat> was super supportive, but at the same time also like he was like a great like role model for like, mm-hmm. hey, like we're here because we were we're serious, sure. but at the same time, he wasn't like, for lack of better words, an asshole about it. Mm-hmm. Like he wasn't, he wasn't, he didn't cross the line, at least sure. in my experience with your father. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so, so I would love to know how you approach these situations with kids who are obviously very involved in youth mm-hmm. sports and, you know, I guess take it from there. Sure. 
I'm definitely my dad's kid when it comes to it. Like I'm very involved. I'm very encouraging. And to have this opportunity through this sport that I didn't know anything about a few years ago to now like watch a lot of college field hockey like on ESPN Plus. Like it's just part of who I am at this point. But I also don't want to be, for the lack of a better term, like a helicopter parent and and whatnot. I, I encourage my kids to to practice, to work out and to do stuff. I don't demand it. Um sometimes they might think I do, but trust me I don't. And they have some examples um that of they know they can um of people who do. But because um, I don't want them to resent me, to resent the sport, and I want them to come at it from a positive place. That being said, I'm heavily involved in um, the club that they belong to. My mother-in-law actually founded the club. She eventually um, oh, wow. so- sold it, but she still works for the club. Um, so I've done some volunteer work with the club um, to be involved um, as well. And, 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 I'm, and I'm active and attentive at a lot of things. My girls have had some opportunities to to play with older kids. Um, so we've gone to a lot of high school games and stuff because my oldest has played with some of the girls who are already in high school. Um, and we cheer them on locally and, and stuff like that. So we, we've kind of just kind of part of made it part of our lifestyle, to be honest with you. Um, but it, it's up to them how far they want to take it. But I'm trying to do my best to, um, to be active and, and support them um, and just have you know, success here. Pennsylvania is the number one spot hotbed in the country for field hockey. If you can make it, in I this didn't country, even realize that. Like, I remember, I remember it's... with like Megan Roche, like has talked about how like okay. she's from that area and mm-hmm. she was like a, an all American field hockey player and talking about how like the club teams there were super serious. She just, just said this in yeah. passing on their podcast, the somewhere called play podcast. But mm-hmm. every time I've heard that, I like immediately think of you and your girls being <laughs> in the same neck of the woods. It's if you can make it in this state, you can make it in America, basically, because it's it's very difficult here. But um, it's it's been a fun ride and I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's funny. I, I I'm an only child and, and, and I'm a male, obviously, and I couldn't have imagined having girls, never mind two. And now, 12 years later, I can't imagine anything different in my world. It's amazing. In the- how do you approach that fine line of like being involved, mm-hmm. being supportive while making sure that you're not doing stuff that either like you look at another parent being like, that's too far or look back later and be sure. like, Oh, I regret what I'm doing here. This is not how I should have approached it. Um, communication has never been easy for me in certain levels. I'm an insecure person for sure. Being an only child, um, always having to reach out, and always wondering your status with other people at all times. I didn't have a built-in brother or sister who basically needed to love me no matter what. But So there's a little bit of that. There's also a little bit of like wanting to push the girls, but not too far. There's also a little bit in the back of my head where like I don't want others to have others like in our club or in other be like, are they getting opportunities because they're not good or is it because their dad volunteers and there's not? Because you and I both know people because we grew up with people yes. who we both know. I'm yes. not going to say their names on this podcast. Sure. That we'd be like, that either their yep. parents were like way too involved <sighs> and that like led to mm-hmm. negative things downstream sure. and all of that. And I think we can both, again, rattle off probably three or four names at the sure. top of our, right off the top of our head right now and probably have sure. them be the same names and be like, okay, we want to make sure that we're not 
putting our kids in that situation. So I'm very sensitive to that. And that comes to like a lot of like discussions. Um, in the last year, we've had to have, as a family unit, gotten a lot closer with regard to communication and talk. Um, unfortunately, my oldest daughter, when she was 11, her best friend passed away out of nowhere. And that sent us into like this kind of family spiral of not knowing how to like literally communicate about anything. Field hockey didn't matter. Nothing mattered. Like it was just survival day to day, not knowing how to talk to each other. And we had to really figure this back out. Um, my youngest daughter was also friends with her and she took this in a completely different way because she didn't feel as though she could grieve in the same way as my older daughter because she was like best friends with her. There's a lot of complications with it. And then later in the year, um, my oldest daughter came down with this syndrome called POTS. Um, and so it's, it's basically something that happens when you stand up, you lose kind of balance and you have to it's connected to a lot of different things with the neurosystem. So she has to remain super hydrated, super um, um, with electrolytes and, and different things. And, and to be an athlete, it's really hard, but she's going through this grief thing. She's going through this new syndrome that came on later in the year. It was a very difficult year, but that also forced us to communicate. It forced us to check in, forced us to have mental health and therapy and all those different things that could push us forward and we're in a really good place now but getting to that point was a big learning process and so um we're not perfect and we still go through it obviously but there's a lot of layers to it but it's a it's a work in progress constantly and one of the things i've said a lot when i've talked about running and as you know runners never like to talk about running um is that (laughs) progress isn't linear you know what i mean i've bumped on marathons and you know i've had bad races and injuries and stuff and it's the same way here it's it's a constant learning and shifting and and we're working on it as best as we can and and it's in a lot of ways it's made us a stronger family through through some difficult stuff in the last year or so so i would say that is where i'm coming from is i'm trying to to be the best dad that i can um as well as stay involved like my dad did in the local community because I really, really think that's that's valuable and I really enjoy that too. And and, and so I, I like it as a bigger thing as well beyond just the, the, the two kiddos. Mike Carroll, thank you so much for coming on the show today <laughs> to talk about your running journey, your family, and everything in between. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Honestly, this is, this is surreal to be honest, but thank you. It was awesome. And uh, and I appreciate everything you do.